ushers, come by with those baskets. Hey, if we haven't met before, uh, nice to meet you. My name is Benjamin, one of the pastors here at Flourishing Grace. And uh, today is December 1st. A few days ago, uh, we celebrated Thanksgiving. Now, just get a show of hands to, to kick us off, a little poll. Um, how many of you have willingly, meaning by choice, so, so not when like you're at work and somebody else is listening to it, but how many of you have willingly been listening to Christmas music since well before Thanksgiving? Anyone in this room? Okay, some of you are really shy, bashful about it. Okay. <laughs> I see some spouses elbowing one another. Okay. How many of you are in the camp where you're like, listen, Thanksgiving Day, once dinner is done, pie is eaten, everything is cleaned up, then you can listen to Christmas music. How many of you are in that camp? Okay. Very nice. Last, how many of you are finished with at least 50% of your Christmas shopping? All right, put your hands down. Nobody likes a braggart, Okay. <laughs> Believe it or not, believe it or not, there was a day when Christmas didn't start until Christmas. And we've been talking about a little bit this morning about this season of Advent. And we're not sticklers for Christmas music. We sung a a Christmas song today on December 1st. But what we try to do here at Flourishing Grace is we try to kind of reclaim the season of waiting, uh, the season of Advent, of of waiting to celebrate uh, the birth of Jesus, but also waiting for his coming again during these few weeks that occur every year before Christmas Day. Now, the thing is, today is December 1st, and many of us already feel overwhelmed. I mean, think about everything. I don't want your blood pressure to go up too much, but think about everything you've got coming up. You've got your Christmas party. You've got your spouse's Christmas party. There's probably some neighborhood thing that you're going to be invited to. Um, There's neighbor gifts you've got to get ready for when you receive neighbor gifts. And if you're new to Utah, ask somebody who's from Utah about neighbor gifts because you've got to get them going, okay? And then there's a million class Christmas parties that you have to help out with. And by the way, there's going to be at least one school day if you've got elementary-aged kids where your kid's going to come to you 15 minutes before it's time to leave for school with a piece of paper that says you were supposed to prepare a snowman-shaped bunt cake for their holiday party that day. Am I the only one whose blood pressure is rising? And it's overwhelming. And, and on top of that, if you add to that, if we are just honest with one another for a moment, there are so many reasons why for some of us this season Christmas and even the season we just just came out of in Thanksgiving, it's just memories of brokenness or it's just reminders of brokenness. Maybe you just had a a difficult Thanksgiving because there's somebody that isn't with you anymore. Or maybe there's relationships that were around the the Thanksgiving table and you put a smile on and you're enjoying pie with one another, but it's just tough. And all through these weeks, everything is a reminder to you But the brokenness that's in this world, whether it's relational, somebody you lost, or just how you wish things were different. What I want to invite us to do this morning as we enter into this season of Advent, is I want to invite us to kind of hit pause and consider what we want the next 24 days to look like. And not just for our benefit, but through the eyes of what it means to behold Jesus. Could it be that in this season of Advent, God might be longing to show us something if we would just pay attention about what it means to behold his son Jesus and why he came? 
And I know for many of us, it's, it's can be kind of cliche, right? Because yeah, it's, it's Christmas, and, and of course we're talking about that leading up to it, but just, just consider this. It's December 1st, and you're already overwhelmed. It's December 1st, and, and we already feel like things are coming at us a mile a minute, and we've got these calendar requests, and we've got these parties, and invitations are coming every single day, and we just feel like we can't stay on top of it all. What if this year was different? Today, December 1st, is a great day to hit that pause button And consider how to reorder our lives in such a way that we can behold the King of Kings. And that's what we're going to kick off a little bit today. If you've been with us uh, over the last few months, you know that this fall we walked through something on Sunday mornings called the Path of Flourishing. And it wasn't so much of a sermon series as it was kind of a framework for what it means to experience this flourishing life that Jesus offers us. You see, when Jesus came to live on this earth and to die for you and me for our sins and rise again from the dead, he didn't just come to die for us so we might be forgiven and sit in the corner and say, Benjamin, okay, just sit there for, for the rest of the time until I come back again and try not to screw anything else up. No, he, he invited us into a flourishing life. In fact, in John 10.10, he says this. He says that I came that they, meaning those of us who would be followers of Jesus, would have life and have it abundantly. And so we've been walking through, what does it look like to have that abundant, or to use another word, a gardening term, this flourishing life, this path of flourishing. So we'll be talking about this kind of for the rest of the life of flourishing grace. And as we walked through this, we looked through different pathways, not things that we can accomplish in our own lives, but but paths that we kind of walk in to allow God to transform us and help us live into this flourishing life. We talked first about this this pathway of of beholding Jesus, that we flourish by beholding Jesus. We'll talk more about that today. We talked about this pathway that we flourish by following Jesus and and, and emulating him and, and going where he leads us. We talked about this pathway of being transformed, of becoming like Jesus and what God is doing in us, not anything we are accomplishing, but how God is changing us from the inside out. And we talked about flourishing by community. And so you're going to hear a little bit more about that through the eyes of some of these stories that come so familiar if you spend any kind of time, time in church of this season leading up to and including Christmas. So to get us started, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, and I've got to admit something to you. We're cheating. We're cheating because we're actually going to be reading a story about after the birth of Jesus. It's in Matthew chapter 2. You can turn there if you want to. If you forgot your Bible, uh, you don't, if you don't have one with you right now today, there's a blue Bible right underneath your seat. We'll be on page 895. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, um, I invite you to take that one that's underneath your seat. Put your name in it. We want those to walk out the door. We love to give those away. That's what they're there for. Um, and so uh, you can have that one if you need it. And because we do believe that this is the word of God and we do believe that this is one of the ways that God transforms us from the inside out and reveals himself to us, out of respect for this word of God, would you mind as I read it, would you please stand as we read Matthew chapter 2, 1 through 12? Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. 
For so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. Now, I hope I'm not ruining anybody's childhood here, okay? But it may have already come to your attention that there are some songs that we sing around Christmas time that just aren't true. All right, now I'm not talking about, don't worry, I'm not getting done up on the hot housetop and all that kind of thing today. Actually, I'm talking about songs that we have sung in church that maybe if you grew up in church or maybe you've listened to, you know, we, we listened to Barbara Streisand on one of those things called record players when I was growing up. You may have heard words to some of these songs. Consider um, Way in a Manger. I'll get the words up here. Um, one of the verses goes like this. The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Now, if you've ever been a parent of an infant, that should make you chuckle a little bit. And on top of that, just, just consider it. Stay with me. You're telling me that the same Jesus who would grow up and, and, and be a man and in his ministry when he saw the temple courts kind of being defiled because all these visitors were coming to the temple to worship and they had to exchange money in order to buy the sacrifices for worship. He saw them being taken advantage of and people using kind of God's house in order to make a profit rather than to worship him. He was filled with righteous anger so much so that he took some cords, he made a homemade whip out of it and drove the money changers out of the temple. You're telling me that same guy, when he woke up and was a little hungry or filled his diaper, didn't whimper just a little bit? Another one. We three kings of Orient are. We just read that text, right? How many visitors did Jesus have? Doesn't say, does it? On top of that, we will we'll talk about this in a minute, but we don't know exactly what profession these visitors had. It's a little bit ambiguous, but they weren't kings. And so what I want to do is I want to take this somewhat familiar story, if you've heard the song or, or maybe grew up in church, and I just kind of want to wipe the slate clean today, see what was happening here and why Matthew wants us to know about it, and then come away with a few thoughts for us today for this Advent season. Sound good? So... First, who were these visitors? Now, your translation might say wise men. It's what we read today. Your translation might also say magi. And the reason for that is this, this translation that we read from, or whatever your original language is uh, uh, that you speak, uh, mine is in English. 
the Bible that we have, that we read translations of, they're actually translations of the original languages, which is Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. A lot of people think that the way that we kind of get our translations is it was in one form and then kind of translated and translated again and again over the centuries, like some long game of telephone, until we get to the end and we're not really sure we have the same thing that we started from. That's actually, nothing can be further from the truth. We actually have, with 99.9% accuracy, especially in the New Testament, um, that that the transcripts that we have, the original languages, the original manuscripts and the original languages, we have copies of those. And the translations that you have in your hands today are actually direct translations from those original languages. And what often happens when it comes to these translations is sometimes when you're translating from one language to another, you come across a word that we just don't have in the language you're translating to. For instance, pinata. The reason why we don't have an English word for the word pinata is because we never saw one before until somebody who spoke Spanish showed us what a pinata was. Now it's part of our culture. Same thing is with this word that's translated magi or wise men. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? This word there is magoi, and we just often transliterate it, magi. And the reason why some people just leave it as magi and some people leave it as wise men is because that gives kind of the ambiguous meaning because we're not really sure what their profession was. We know they came from the east because Matthew tells us from, but not the far east. Very likely these men were from the area around Babylon. And they probably were astrologers because they saw the star, but they also probably dabbled in magic and in many different kind of religious practices. Chances are that they found out that there would eventually be born king of the Jews because they crossed paths with some Jewish people, some Israelites, or maybe they had been passed down a few scriptures from the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament. But whatever their profession was, whatever kind of status they had in their culture, we're just not certain But what exactly that looked like? We just know that they came from the east. And when they showed up, they expected a party. In fact, they expected to be late to this party. Um, You may have some nativity scenes, uh, maybe drawings, maybe sculptures or wood carvings at your house. And some of them may have the manger with Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus and the shepherds that Luke tells us that very night came to worship Jesus. They may have these wise men. But these wise men weren't there at the birth of Jesus. We don't know exactly when they showed up, but we do know that it would have taken some time for them to figure out what this star meant, to to gather everything together, to prepare for this journey, and eventually take that journey. In fact, when they show up, we get some clues in Matthew's text in that they come to a house, not a manger. Now, some people think, well, maybe those are both the same thing. But Matthew's very clear. They don't come to see an infant, they come to see a child. And Herod, if you keep reading past this passage, Herod, who was tricked by the wise men, he feels betrayed and he's worried that there's this possible new king that's a threat to his throne. And he knows it was born in Bethlehem, so he orders the execution, the massacre of every child, every male child in Bethlehem, two years old and younger. So Jesus at this point is probably closer to two than as an infant. And when they show up, they figure, man, everybody's going to be talking about this. We're going to be the last ones into town here to pay homage to this king, to give him honor that's been born. When they show up, King Herod hears of it, 
They talk to him. In the words of my sixth grade daughter, he says, what the what? Wait, 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 a king? And he is threatened and all of Jerusalem is troubled. Not because they're worried about the king, but when King Herod, who was a tyrant, is troubled, everybody he's ruling is in trouble as well. He is an unstable man and everybody is worried about what this means. They know it can't mean good news for them. And so they, they try to figure out what's going on and he says, okay, they're looking for the king of the Jews. And so they find some Jewish religious leaders, some scribes, and, and they say, okay, tell me, where was this, this king supposed to be born? Tell me what's supposed to be happening here. And they're like, oh yeah, we know this. From the prophet Micah. It's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And so off they go to Bethlehem. Herod says, oh, I want to come worship him too. He puts on a face. But of course, that's not the case at all. They go and they, they kneel before this, this toddler, this King Jesus. They pay him homage and then they're on their way through another route and we never hear from them again. Now, why would Matthew include this? Why does, what are we supposed to gain from this? What, what does he want us to know? Well, I think a couple of reasons. First of all, if you've ever read Matthew from start to finish, and when we do our reading plans, um, a lot of times we kind of chop up these passages, which is not a bad thing because we can't read the whole Bible every day, all day. And so we kind of break it up into manageable reading plans, and that's a really good thing to do. But sometimes when we chop it up, we tend to take these stories as just like kind of one-offs. And okay, here's a nice story, and here's a nice story, and we don't see how they're all related. Well, if you read Matthew from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 28, the whole thing, his whole biography of Jesus, you'll see that time and time again, Matthew is pointing to the Old Testament, to what he would call the Hebrew Bible, the, the scriptures that he had. And he would say, okay, here's a prophecy that was foretold before Jesus and shows how Jesus is the Messiah. And here's another one and here's another one. Now some people, maybe this, and this is a smart thing to say. Some people say, well, if Jesus knew about these prophecies, then couldn't he kind of try to fulfill them and live into them? Well, maybe a couple. But unless he was really the king of kings, he couldn't have chosen where he was to be born. And so Matthew is trying to point to us through this, this scripture that he quotes in Micah and some out of 2 Samuel about how Jesus would be the shepherd and this star that appears that God puts in the sky. He's trying to show us this is the Messiah that was foretold. This is not an entirely new thing. This is the completion of what God has been up to all through the course of human history and especially in the course of the history of Israel. Matthew says this is the one we've been waiting for. Another reason Matthew includes this story, I think, is he draws this contrast between the reaction of the wise men, these magi, and these religious leaders that Herod had consulted who knew all the answers. I mean, think about these religious leaders. They knew, they knew where this baby was to be born, where this king, where this messiah, where this rescuer was to be born. Oh yeah, right off the top of their heads, Bethlehem down the road. They knew. They may not have known when, but as soon as the wise men showed up, they should have known, oh, maybe it's already happened. And Matthew says, contrast that with these wise men who didn't have all the answers, had only maybe pieces of the Hebrew Bible of these scriptures, who didn't know where they were following the star to. You're going to Jerusalem, I assume he's kind of around there. But they didn't know their way to Bethlehem. They acted on what little information they had. And they went and they knelt before the king of kings. 
while these religious leaders who should have had all the answers, who did have all the answers, they had all the information at their fingertips and they missed it. They missed it. Now, I think for those of us who have spent some time in church, those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus for years and maybe decades, those of us who know the passages, we, we know where to turn, we know the words to the song, we know what Advent means, we, we've, we've kind of been in this culture for a while, there should be a warning that it is possible to have the answers. It is possible in your mind to have checked the boxes, to be in the right place, to do the right things, and to miss Jesus the King of Kings, the true Jesus, all together. While at the same time, it's possible to piece together only a few things and, and come together and kneel before the King. I didn't grow up in this thing called church. When I was in college, I had started seeking Jesus, and I didn't really know much about it. I started going to church, and I was actually invited to a Bible study. And, and, and I just felt out of place. And maybe you feel that way too. Maybe you haven't been in church a long time. Maybe you're a new follower of Jesus. Or maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, and, and you're just kind of seeking and trying to figure this stuff out. And you're like, man, I don't know where the stuff is, and I just feel out of my league. Listen. I've been there. One of my first Bible study that I went to, I brought this thing called a Gideon's Bible. The Gideons are the people, the organization that puts Bibles in hotel room like drawers. You know, you see this, like who puts those in those? Well, now you know, the Gideons. And so I had one of those, it's just a plain Bible. Didn't know where anything was in it. And I'm sitting next to the guy that would eventually become one of my best friends. But he had one of those Bible cases that like zip open and, and everything is underlined. It's clear he's been like reading his Bible his entire life. And there's all these tabs on where to find the different books. And I'm like, man, I just don't know where anything is. And this, I'm not making this up. When the Bible study leader, you know, we're getting started. We do some introductions. says, okay, now everybody turn to John. I like look up and I'm wondering who in the group is John? Like which guy am I supposed to be looking at? Why do you laugh at me? That's just so rude. <laughs> and if you feel that way, listen, there will come a day. There, is, there will come a day to read. There's coming a day to learn these things. And as you spend more time, of course, you'll know more. But listen, it is not about knowing more or having all the right answers. It's about taking what you do know. Where God is drawing you to himself and kneeling before the king of kings with as much information or as little information as you have. Yes, there will come a day where you read one of those books Pastor Josh talks about by these guys named Spurgeon and Bonhoeffer. But it's not about having all the right answers. It's not about who knows the most. It's about who is willing to kneel before the King of Kings and say, I don't have it in me. I can't do this on my own. I don't have the power to save myself. All my good works, and if I stack them up, man, they're just rubbish. My only hope is in Jesus and in his righteousness and what he did for me on the cross. And I fear, I fear that even in this room there are people who know the answers. You have the scriptures down, but they've never knelt before the King of Kings. I think another thing Matthew wants us to see in this is these wise men, these magi, we just consider them somebody from the East, but Matthew's original readers, especially those who were Jewish, would have gotten this right away. These wise men were not highly esteemed people in Judea, in the land of Israel, among the Jewish people. In fact, they would have been outcasts. 
There are so many times in the laws of Moses and in the prophets that actually speak out against the profession of these magi, of astrology and magic. Like they would have been outcasts. There's no way that these guys would have been welcomed around a Jewish dinner table. But why were they there? Well, listen, first of all, this is kind of just an aside. If Matthew was writing an account to try to convince us that this Jesus that he loved and he followed and he had died and the the movement was dead, but I want to write something to make people think he's still alive and he's trying to fabricate this story, Matthew never would have included this story in there. The reason it's in there, because it was embarrassing to himself, is embarrassing to Jesus among the Jewish people. The reason it's in there is because it happened. And Matthew is showing us That Jesus came for all people. Not just those who are on the inside. Not just those who have it all together. Not just those who had the answer. Jesus came for all people. Including those who maybe according to the Israelite and the Jewish culture were outcasts. Matthew was very clear. Jesus is the king of kings. Not just for a certain kind of people but for all who would come and kneel before him. Now, what do we take from this? We started this morning talking about how do we kind of hit the pause button? How do we look out over the next 24 days and the next three and a half weeks or so and reorder our lives so that things aren't just coming at us, but we actually behold this king of kings? Well, the first thing I think this story tells us is this, is that God draws us to Jesus. And it's easy to hear some of these stories. It's easy to spend some time in this thing called church and think that it's something that we fabricate. Man, if I'm going to have a relationship with Jesus, I've got to do these things before I come to him or else I'm not going to be welcomed at all. Now, friends, God, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, God is already drawing you to himself. And not because of anything you did, not because of anything I did, but because of what Jesus has already done for you. It's nothing we accomplish in our own lives. It's nothing that that we have to, to, to do or check off a list. We can simply kneel before the king of kings because God is the one who has drawn us to himself. God is the one who put that star in the sky. God is the one who drew the wise men to Jesus. God is the one who ordered all of these events so that they would come to Bethlehem and kneel before the king of kings and pay him honor. Second thing is this. That to behold means to be in relationship. That to behold Jesus means to be in relationship with him. And Pastor Josh talked about this when we kind of kicked off this fall in the path of flourishing. That as we, as we learn what it means to live out this life that Jesus has on offer, this life of flourishing... The first step is, is just to simply behold Jesus and be in relationship with him. We talked about abiding from, from the gospel of John. We talked about what it means to just simply rest in Jesus, to be connected to him. The wise men, when they heard about these, these scriptures and when they saw the star and they realized the king had been born, they didn't just like call 1-800-Flowers and say, oh, let's send him a card. No, they got up and they went and they met Jesus face to face. Friends, none of this makes sense without a relationship with Jesus. None of this is possible without coming before the King of Kings, coming before Jesus, abiding in him, beholding him, being in relationship. 
Last thing is this. Sometimes, to behold Jesus requires a journey. And what I mean by that is this. The wise men took a literal journey. They, they were esteemed. Whatever, whatever profession they had, whatever culture they had, they were men of means. They were probably esteemed. They loved what they were doing. They probably did it because they found purpose in it. And when they realize that the king of kings has been born out west, they pack up, they take a journey to him. Now this doesn't mean, uh, and a lot of people think this, this doesn't mean that somehow like God meets us halfway. No, what this means is that sometimes we choose to leave behind comfort in order to embrace Jesus. Um, If you're married, uh, chances are when you started dating your spouse, um, your friends noticed that they were getting less and less time with you. Because you were, you were beholding your, your, your future spouse, you were dating, you wanted to get to know this person. When we choose to behold Jesus, it is him who draws us to himself, but we also leave behind comfort. We go on a journey to behold him face to face because he is the greatest treasure. Friends, this next three and a half weeks, listen, every single day, a new, this is, not, this is not an exaggeration, every single day a new catalog comes to my house and it's not addressed to me, it's addressed to my kids. My kids know where the Sharpies are and they get it out and they go circle everything, I don't even know why they're circling everything, just hand me the catalog and say, Dad, this is what I want. Time and time again, over the next few weeks, you will be told, it's about your comfort. Treat yourself. You deserve this. Give a present to yourself. It is about our comfort. Yet to behold Jesus and be in relationship with him requires a journey and leaving behind that comfort. I don't know what that looks like for you. For, For some of you, it might mean reordering some parts of your life. And saying, man, I, I want to behold Jesus, be in relationship with him, and that requires time. And so there's some things I need to say no to, or there's, there's some sleep I need to lose, or, or maybe there's some shows I need to watch less, and I just need to focus on this relationship and behold him. Or maybe for you, you understand all this stuff, but, but you know the pull that comfort has on your life. And it might mean saying no to yourself and saying, listen, family, we're going to have cheaper presents this year. We're not going to have as many. And we are going to use that money that we would have spent on these kids who are refugees and are part of a Title I school and, and, and are impoverished in some way. We're going to give them a Christmas. Whatever it means for all of us, this much is true. God is drawing us to himself and to worship his son Jesus. That is a gift to be able to come and kneel before him that that Jesus gives us himself to be in relationship with him. However, in order to behold him, in order to live into this life of flourishing, it requires some reordering of our lives. And this much I know about your life because it's the same of mine here today on December 1st. That if I don't reorder my life for the next two and a half, three and a half weeks, it's just going to come at me and I'll get to the end of it and I'll realize I've never beheld Jesus at all. 
Um, this morning, we're going to finish by taking part in something called communion. And this is something we do on the first Sunday of every month here at Flourishing Grace. Communion is the, the practice where through the bread and the juice, we remember that, that Jesus' body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us. This is something that he told his followers as, as they gathered around the Passover dinner, the night that he was betrayed and arrested and eventually crucified. And so what we will do over the next few minutes, we're going to pass the trays and you're going to grab some of the bread and grab the juice and we are going to behold Jesus, not just as a child, but also behold Jesus understanding why he came. Die for you and me. And listen, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, you haven't surrendered your life to him in the way we talk about right here. Listen, we're glad that you're here. We ask that it was just pass you by because quite frankly, it won't mean as much to you as it does for us. But if you are a follower of Jesus, whether this is your first Sunday or you've been here for years, this is something we will partake in together. Brett's gonna play a song, lead, the, lead us in a song with the band. And during that time, the trays are gonna be passed. Just grab it and on your own time, partake of that, that bread and that juice. If you're gluten-free, we have gluten-free elements back on the counter back there. But I'm gonna pray we're going to take part in communion and sing a song together and then Brett's going to close. God, I confess that even now, on December 1st, um, I have not done much to behold you, that I have been distracted, that I have... I have invested my time in lesser loves and lesser things and I have not pursued the greatest treasure of all of all the king of kings the lord of lords Jesus himself and so God I pray that you would draw me and draw all of us to Jesus God I pray that whether we are beholding him for the first time and, and, and surrendering our life to him for the first time or whether we've been doing this for years, God, I pray that you would, this Advent season, that you would help us to hit pause. That you would help us to behold Jesus in a new way. That we might know that he is the greatest treasure of all. We love you and we pray these things in his name. Let all the people say, amen.